As we continue in our worship service this morning, we're coming to the time of our sermon, and we've been looking at this chapter in Hebrews 11, this story of faith. And the question that seemed to come to my mind over and over again as I was looking at this faith of Moses that we're going to look at is this question, how do we have faith in the future if we lose hope in the future? I don't know if that resonates with you yet, but hopefully it will as we read this passage and as we look at it together. In Hebrews 11, verse 23, it says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. And by faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. And by faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same thing, we're drowned. Father, as we open your word, as we think this morning of what it is to have faith, what it is to have hope, we pray that you would help us to understand the huge difference between hope and faith. We pray, God, that you would help us to discover how to have faith in you, how to have faith in the future, and through these challenging times to live fully for you. So, Father, guide us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Question we've been asking, it's on the web, it's on your notes, which uh, you can download off the web for the sermon today, is just simply this question, how do we have faith if we lose hope in the future? And I just think whether it's COVID or whether it's health or whether it's family or whether it's work or whether it's finance, whatever it is, after about six months of this COVID thing, we're starting to lose a little bit of hope in the future. It's not the easy trip through that we thought it would be. It's a lot longer than we thought it would be. And a person that can help us besides Moses is a chap by the name of James Stockdale. James Stockdale was an admiral in the U.S. Navy and during the Vietnam War was captured and served as a prisoner of war in Vietnam for seven years. He was tortured. He was treated incredibly poorly. And during that horrific period, he struggled to keep hope and to really believe that he would make it out alive. He in that grim hell that he was in, managed to stay alive. And he did it, he said, by embracing both the harshness of the situation with a balance of healthy optimism. And he put it this way, you must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. And Jim Collins, in his book, Good to Great, uses that story and then sums it up with this phrase. He calls it the Stockdale Paradox. 
And he says, you have to be able to confront the brutal facts without losing hope in the future. And so the question this morning is, how do you balance hope and faith? And maybe we need to start with a couple of definitions, and we need to figure out what is the difference between hope and faith. Uh, they obviously have something in common. They are our attitude towards uncertainty in the future. But they're very, very different. Hope is a desire for the future that seems uncertain, according to the Oxford English Dictionary, wanting something to happen or to be the case. And the word I would use is the word wish. When I talk about hope in the future, I'm talking about what I wish will be the case. But faith is something totally different. Faith is believing something about the future in spite of the circumstances. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, the first verse of this chapter we've been walking through all this fall, this summer, is simply this. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And as a Christian, my faith is believing, not wishing, and more specifically, it's believing that what God says about the future is true. And I wonder in these uncertain times that we're in, as we go through all this stuff with COVID and we go into the fall and we're looking at back to school and there's uncertainty there and back to church and there's uncertainty there and back to work and there's uncertainty there. Can you tell the difference in your life between hope and faith? Between what you're hoping for and what you have faith in? Over these past two weeks, we've had a couple of kind of tragic things in our church. Two guys, both younger than me, each had heart attacks uh, a couple of days apart. And I was talking to each of their wives on the phone and just catching up on what's happening and praying with them. And what they both expressed was both their hope and their faith. They talked about their hope for a full recovery for their husbands. But they talked about their strong faith in God, that he was present in the situation and that he was at work in their husbands' bodies. And the question today is, how do we have faith in the future? when sometimes our hope wavers. And I think Moses is just a great person to kind of look at his life because as the book of Hebrews is going to tell us, he had immense faith in places where he should have had no hope. If you remember Moses' life, he kind of lived it in three 40-year chapters. The first chapter was 40 years when he was the son of the daughter of Pharaoh. He was in Egypt and everything was pretty easy for him. That chapter ends when he kills an Egyptian who was mistreating an Israelite. And he realizes that he's going to have to flee into the desert. And all hope of a future is gone as he disappears into the desert. And the next 40-year chapter starts there. And he finds a wife. And he finds a job as a shepherd. And he becomes a father. And he lives this very simple life in the desert. And all hope of making a difference in the lives of his people is gone because he's just the shepherd in the desert. And then that chapter ends when he sees a burning bush 
and God speaks to him and says, you're going to lead the people out of Israel, of Israel, out of Egypt. And uh, that's a 40-year adventure where he confronts Pharaoh, gets the people out of Egypt, and then wanders in the desert for 40 years. And he must have been losing hope as he just wandered, it seemed, randomly through the desert for all those years. And yet, in spite of all that, our passage in, in Hebrews that we read has five by faiths that relate to Moses. Now, technically, the first one is his parents, and technically, the last one is the people of Israel leaving Egypt, but they are all from the life of Moses, the lifetime of Moses. And let's just take a look and see what we can learn from the story of Moses. The first one we learn is actually from Moses' parents when he was born. And it says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. And you remember Pharaoh had passed this law that all the baby boys had to be thrown into the Nile River and killed. And when Moses was born, his parents hid him for a while, for three months. And nowhere in Exodus does it say it, but Hebrews has this crazy little, little phrase in there. It says they did it because they saw the child was beautiful. I don't get that, actually. And, uh, you know, I mean, it was great that uh, he won the uh, Gerber Beautiful Baby Contest. But, you know, you really wonder, was that really why they did it? Or, you know, maybe to a parent, every baby is beautiful. I mean, I go visit babies when they're first born in the hospital, and some of them are beautiful, and some of them look like little old men. You know, they, they, it's, or little old women. Um, Birth is not easy, and sometimes, you know, they will plump out and they will become beautiful very quickly, but sometimes not so much at the beginning. And I remember early on in my ministry career, I went to visit a, a woman who was in the hospital, and her mother-in-law was there, and the baby was there, and it was perhaps the ugliest baby I've ever seen in my life. And I was trying to say something nice about the baby, and, and the grandmother, in just a grandmotherly joy, said to her daughter-in-law, oh, doesn't he look just like you? And I, I would have hit the woman. But um, anyway, Moses was a beautiful baby. <laughs> God had a plan for him. We can learn a couple of things, I think, from Moses' parents. Uh, first thing is that their faith was inspired by hope. They acted because they had hope in the future that God was going to do something. We've already flagged that as a possible problem, but, but when you have hope, it's easier to have faith. And that faith created courage for them to act. They put Moses in the river. They said that all baby boys were to put in the Nile. They actually did put him in the Nile, now in a little boat. And uh, Pharaoh's daughter found him, and he was raised in Egypt, and you know the story. But uh, their faith, their hope gave them faith. Their faith led them to action, and their action aligned with what God was intending to do with the people of Israel. And so we see that faith makes a difference in the world. But that's not Moses. Let's turn to Moses' story. The first of the three by faiths of Moses. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, 
for he was looking for the reward. And there's three verbs in that sentence that, that tell us something about Moses' faith. The first one is his faith led him to refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. In other words, he turns away from his upbringing to go back to his blood relatives, the Israelites. And when he was 40, as we said, he saw this Egyptian mistreating this Israelite, and he kills the Egyptian. And I don't know why he did it. Maybe it was just to defend a fellow Israelite. But maybe he was hoping in that moment that it would launch this rebellion, that somehow he felt called to, to make this difference. And I don't know. It, it, regardless of his motives, he did it. And regardless of his motives, it didn't work out well. And he has to leave the luxury of Egypt and he has to go into the desert. And the second thing there is it says he chose. Choosing to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And, and he chose a path. Somehow I think he must have sensed that God wanted him to do something. He ran ahead of God. He did the wrong thing. But he sensed he want, God wanted him to do something because it says rather than the pleasures of sin. And there's nothing wrong with being a Pharaoh's son if that's what you're called by God to do. But somehow Moses knew it wasn't. And he gave up that luxurious lifestyle to follow God. And it says there that he was willing to obey rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And I just think sometimes, you know, we in the church, when we talk about sin, we never talk about the pleasures of sin. We always talk about how bad it is and how foolish it is that anyone would ever sin. But in the 1800s, a guy by the name of William Featherston wrote a poem. Another guy by the name of Adoniram Judson wrote a melody to go with it. And it's become one of our favorite hymns for people that like hymns. And it's that hymn, My Jesus, I Love Thee. And the verse goes like this, My Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine. For thee all the follies of sin I resign. And what I never knew till this week is that's not what Featherston wrote. That's what the hymn books changed it to. He never wrote, for thee all the follies of sin I resign. What he wrote was, for thee all the pleasures of sin I resign. Quoting this verse. But somehow in the hymn books, that wasn't considered to be kosher. And so they changed the words to the follies of sin. But I think Hebrews just takes a much more balanced view of sin. I think Hebrews says sin is pleasurable. We would not sin if it wasn't pleasure. We tend to move from pain to pleasure. I have a stove in my kitchen. We use it most days. Very rarely do I just deliberately go and stick my finger on a hot burner to see what it feels like. Because I know that's not going to give me pleasure. It's going to give me pain. But yet there is sin in our lives. Because we get pleasure. Now, the Hebrews is very careful there. It says, the fleeting pleasures. In other words, it's temporary. It's short term. We had a chap in our last church who was addicted to crack cocaine, and I used to visit with him and talk with him. And in his sober moments, he was really trying hard, and then he would go off on a bender. And I would talk to him afterwards, and I'd say, what happened? And he said, well... 
he says, when you have that first hit of crack, you get such a feeling of euphoria that you just spend the rest of the night buying more, trying to recapture that moment. And that, to me, is kind of what sin is like. It, there's a pleasure, but it's fleeting. And it's costly. But killing the Egyptian was this act of hope that God was at work, but it was only after the burning bush encounter that Moses starts to obey God. Where he encounters God in that burning bush, he chooses to follow God. And in a way, it seems at first to be a step back, a step into suffering. The third verb in that sentence about Moses is, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. And that third point kind of says why Moses had this faith. It's because he saw beyond the horizon of this world. Moses had all the treasures of Egypt at his disposal, it says. He had all the wealth that he could ever have, but he saw differently. And our word in the English Standard Version that I read says he considered, but, but another way of translating that would be he counted or he accounted, being the first time the accountant profession is mentioned in Scripture. But it takes us to Paul's comment in Philippians where he says, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I counted everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And for his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And I think if uh, you wanted a commentary on that from the New Testament of what Moses did, that was Moses. He was counting the cost. And one of the things that, that hope and faith depend on is seeing and assessing clearly. Uh, PBS has this show called The Antique Roadshow. You maybe never watched it. But what happens is they'll go to a town, and then everybody can line up and bring their treasures, and they bring everything under the sun. And they have these professional appraisers who go through and look at their stuff and tell them what it's worth. And... You sort of play along as you're watching. You kind of go, oh, yeah, that's probably a $600 item or that's a $10,000 item or whatever. And, uh, yeah, about half the time I'm too high and about the other half the time I'm too low. But, you know, um, always there's a thing. Always they're surprised by the value of it. And always they bought it at a flea market for $10. Bucks. Um, just amazing to me, you know, how all these deals are at the flea markets. It almost makes you want to go. But... Uh, but sometimes we do that. We, we, we misvalue what's important in the world. We undervalue eternity and we overvalue our experience in this world. And Moses and Paul encourage us to count the cost, to be careful what we put our hope in. Because sometimes what we put our hope in is not the most important thing. And sometimes what we put our hope in is what we see before we see. By what? Okay. The second thing by faith in there is he left Egypt. By faith he left Egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And Moses refused his old life, and he chose to follow God in faith because he saw what was important 
He saw what was real. He saw the invisible. Now, this is the second time I have a challenge with the book of Hebrews. Um, by definition, you can't see the invisible. It would not be invisible if you could see it. It would be visible. But Christina Rossetti wrote a poem. And uh, I know it more by the title of a book by W.O. Mitchell. But the poem she wrote, the second verse of, is simply this. Who has seen the wind? Neither you nor I. But when the trees bow down their heads, the wind is passing by. In other words, although you cannot see the invisible, you can experience the invisible. And I think that's what happened to Moses at the burning bush. He didn't see God. He saw the effect of God. He didn't see any great vision of God. He saw a bush that burned but didn't burn up. And after that burning bush, Moses never seems to struggle with his faith again. He doesn't really even seem to lose hope in the future, though there are certain times where he wants a different future. But yet there's just no way he can doubt God. And no way he can lose his faith because he saw the invisible. And I think his whole faith was anchored by that experience. And what I'm trying to say really is, how do we go from feeling hopelessness to feeling faith? It isn't by effort. It isn't just by believing. It's by seeing the invisible God. By seeing him in action. By knowing him. And that's where the third by faith comes in for Moses. It says he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. And if you remember that story, um, Moses was trying to get the people of Egypt, people of Israel out of Egypt, and Pharaoh was saying no, and so God sent these ten plagues. And the tenth plague was the death of the firstborn. And it was God's judgment on Egypt saying, Israel is my firstborn and you've been putting Israel to death. I am going to pay you back by putting your firstborn son to death. But for the Israelites, if they took a lamb and they killed it and they put the blood on the door frames of their house, the angel of death as he passed through the land would pass over their house. And the New Testament says that's a picture of what Jesus did for us on the cross. This Passover is, as John says in chapter 1, verse 29, the next day John the Baptist saw Jesus come toward him, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, the, the challenge with Moses' story is very few of us have seen a burning bush that didn't burn up, walked over to it, and encountered God speak to us and call us and tell us about our future. Most of us would have to say we have not seen the invisible lately. In fact, I wonder if our lack of hope in our situation is because we don't see God in it at all. And the final paragraph reminds us here that, that we see God in Jesus Christ, that in his death and resurrection, God shows us that Jesus has defeated sin and defeated death, the two big enemies. And we see the invisible power of God. And not only that, then God invites us into his family. And we're forgiven. 
and we're adopted into that family and we come under the special love and care from God and our hope needs to come from that. Not from believing in spite of the circumstances, not trying to have faith when we don't have any, not by faking it until we make it, but in coming to God and trusting that what he did in Jesus Christ, that we remind ourselves of on a regular basis through communion each month, is that God is present in our lives. That God has a plan for our lives. That we can have hope in the future because God is in the future with us. And we can have faith in him because of what he's already done in Jesus Christ, showing us his power not only in creation, but in redemption, in overcoming sin. And I don't want to make that sound too easy. It's true, but, but how do you do it? Well, one time Jesus was away from the disciples, and a man had come to the disciples that were there and he had asked them to heal his son and they had struggled to do it and had failed. And when Jesus shows up, the, the man kind of rebukes him. And he says, your, your disciples are incompetent. They, they, couldn't, they couldn't heal my son. And then he says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And then Jesus says to him, If you can, all things are possible for those who believe. Or in other translations, who have faith and believe. And immediately the father of the child cried out, I believe. Help my unbelief. Uh, maybe at the end of the sermon, that's the prayer that we need to be praying. Maybe that's our prayer this morning. I believe. But there are times when I struggle. There are times when my hope fades. There's times when my faith isn't there. There are times when I begin to doubt that God is in the future. When I begin to doubt that there is a plan. When I begin to doubt that God does care for me. And we need to go back to that recognizing the invisible God who revealed himself to us through Jesus Christ so that we can be adopted into this family so that God will care for us as a father. And the chapter started with that verse, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And, and faith and hope is anchored in that as we see God at work, as we see the invisible, or at least as we see the effects of the invisible, as we see the work of God in Jesus Christ, as we see the work of Jesus Christ at work in our lives. Faith, assurance, conviction, all of those are gifts of God for those who have. The fifth by faith, we said, wasn't Moses. It was the people of Israel crossing the Red Sea as on dry land. But it's in the lifetime of Moses. And it's the result of Moses' faith. See, what difference does it make if we have hope in the future and faith in the future or not? Well, it has 
a great um, difference for us in how we live our lives. But it also can make a huge difference in the world around us. Because of Moses' faith, the people of Israel got out of Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea. They crossed the desert. They entered the promised land. Faith makes a difference. Not just in our lives, but in the world around us. So what do we do? At the end of the story, what do we do with hope and faith? Uh, here, here's the critical thing for me. Hope is an emotion. Faith is an act of the will. Hope is an emotion. It's, it's what we wish. It's a feeling we have of what we want. Or a feeling we have that there is no hope of what we want. But at its core, faith is an act of the will. It's believing God when he speaks about the future. It's this conviction of things not seen. Now, you got a choice. You can live life on your emotions. You can live on hope or lack of hope, and maybe you oscillate between those depending on the day and on the circumstance. Or we can act on faith, which is our conviction of things even if we can't see them. For though we can't see the future, like Moses, we can encounter God. And in that, develop that assurance, that conviction, that faith to follow him into the future. Well, this week, you're going to have ups and downs. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be joys. That's part of life. You'll probably have times where you just begin to lose hope in the future. You'll get a phone call. You'll have a conversation. You'll see something, and you'll go, ah. And then you'll have that choice. You'll have that choice whether to stay on that emotion, to stay on that hope, to begin to wish, or maybe to lose hope and begin to despair and begin to fear. Or else you can lean into God. You can lean into his faith. But Hebrews is clear. It's by faith that we overcome. It's by faith that we live lives that are full. And it's by faith that we live lives that make a difference. It's by faith that we overcome. And in the midst of life this week, when those moments where it seems we've lost our hope happen, maybe that prayer of the Father becomes our prayer. Father, I believe, but help my unbelief. Father God, this morning we've looked at Moses' life and we've been reminded of his strong faith, even when he shouldn't have had hope. Yet we've been reminded that he found that hope in his encounter with you. And Father God, we pray that we would encounter you afresh this week. Maybe not in the burning bush where we see a miracle and hear a voice. But that somehow we would see the invisible. We would see the wind passing by. We would see the trees bowing down their heads. We would see you. 
And Father God, this week I pray that you would give us back our hope, that you would strengthen our faith, that we may walk with you, that we may live life to the full, that we may make a difference in this world because we have faith that you are in our future and whatever you call us to, you lead us into. Give us the faith of Moses this morning, we pray. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.